Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I am your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am grateful and honored that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's episode is brought to you by Joymail, a monthly newsletter I release that's full of resources to deliver a little joy and practical action steps into your inbox. To sign up, simply head to rachelgilbert.com, click the Start Here button, and sign up for the newsletter right there. Today's guest, Sarah Haggerty, is a lover of God, a wife to Nate, and a mother of seven, four adopted from Africa, and three through miracle pregnancies. She's also a best-selling author and speaker. As a lifelong admirer of words, Sarah has experienced their power to revive. And today, Sarah's words offer hope to those facing unexpected life circumstances. We chatted about using the practice of adoration to overcome things like fear and anxiety. This conversation with Sarah is going to refresh your soul, so let's jump right in. Well, hello, Sarah, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you, Rachel. I'm excited to be on. Yeah. You know, before we hopped on here to record, we were just reminiscing about where I first encountered you and I got to hear you speak at the Declare conference several years ago. And I remember when I heard you speak and then I got your book, I believe it was the book Unseen. Would that be the one that you might've been releasing then? Yep. That's right. Yeah. Such a good book. And I just fell in love with the way you write and the way the Lord speaks through you and to you. And so I'm thrilled to introduce everybody to you today. But one thing I like to do with my guests before we start, I'd like to ask you, what is a fun fact about you that we may not have read in your professional bio? Oh, man. I mean, I have so many weird, quirky facts. My mom used to be a nun. That's like my favorite one to share. <laughs> Sometimes. Wow, that's, that's been, fun. <laughs> that's not so much about me, but that's about her. But, you know, then you can make a lot of conclusions from that. <laughs> yeah. So how long of your life was she a nun? Oh, or well, was she, she when? She, no. No, 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 that would have been a little bit scandalous. <laughs> okay, as soon as I there. said that, <laughs> but, you know, as when soon I as those teenager. words were coming out of my mouth, <laughs> when I was a teenager, oh my gosh, that my mom was a nun and my dad was a priest. But no, my mom was a nun. You know, she went. She was the oldest of thirteen kids, and I think she had a passion for God and also really kind of wanted to escape the chaos at her house and went to the convent when she was 15 and she was in the convent till she was maybe 24, 25, 26. I don't, I can't remember exactly. And then she came out and met my dad. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm cracking up. As soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was like, that's not, I'm not phrasing it that way. Like I know that wouldn't be right. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's fun. Okay. (laughs) Moving right along. That's awesome. That that's definitely the best fun fact I think I've heard on here. There's been some (laughs) other kind of quirky ones, but nothing, nothing that, that, that deep. I love it. Okay. So we're moving on to the book that you've recently released. Now, is this book number three for you? It is. It's the third one that's traditionally published. I wrote a book study to go with Unseen that is actually a book, book study. So that, but that I didn't do traditionally. So this is my third traditionally published, my fourth book. Awesome. Yeah. And so this book is called Adore. And I love the little tagline on it. It says a simple practice for experiencing God in the middle minutes of your day. I would love to hear where'd the burden for this book come from? You know, I am like a worst case scenario thinker. I tend to be all up in my head in all the negative ways. And 
about 10 years ago, a friend very subtly and gently called me on it in a way that I didn't even realize she was calling me on it until later and invited me to consider really aligning my thoughts with God's word. And kind of four steps before that was really recognizing, man, there's a lot of things that I think throughout the day that don't line up with who he is. And so I started practicing adoration, which, you know, honestly, we say that it sounds like a spiritual discipline. I think we can tune out. At least I do sometimes. If I'm feeling strong, I don't tune out when I hear about spiritual disciplines. If I'm feeling weak, which is probably a good portion of my life, I tend to tune out and think that's for another stronger time in my life. But I started practicing adoration from a really weak place, and I started to really find a love and a passion for the Word of God again and just for who He was in the Word, and I started to find my thoughts really getting healed. And so 10 years later, it seemed to make sense to write a book about it. Yeah. And, you know, I love that you say 10 years later, because isn't that the truth that the Lord will so often have us walk through things before he'll have us, you know, maybe turn around and teach other people. And so when you mentioned that you started practicing adoration for people listening, who are thinking, what's adoration? Can you explain that to them? Yeah. Adoration is essentially talking to God from his word and from the raw part of your heart. So I think of adoration as like the psalmist, like I'm going to come to God from a raw place, not from the clean myself up on Sunday place, not from the I feel strong place, but I'm going to come to God from my raw place. And I'm going to put his word back in my mouth and kind of tell my weak heart who he is. And I'm going to tell him who he is. So in a sense, maybe if we would just distill it, adoration is just talking to God in the middle of your day. I love that. You said that it's talking to God from a raw place. That is really so life-changing. I remember when I first started doing that, and that's when my relationship with the Lord just totally transformed because then it's like, you know, what's interesting to me is that we don't, sometimes we can not feel like we can just tell God everything. But I remember once hearing somebody say, well, he knows anyways. You know, I don't know why we think that we're, (laughs) you know, not, not able to share that with them. And so that was very eye-opening for me. You also talk about in the book about the middle minutes, and you kind of started sharing that a, mi- a second ago that, you know, we can practice adoration at any, any time of our day. Can you talk to us about what middle minutes are? Yeah, I mean, I'll just give you a window into my day today. We just had a super full day, and I am not used to full after two months of not having life be very full. And so I woke up this morning just kind of feeling that like lump in my throat, like, oh, I don't want to do today. And it's raining outside. And just already feeling like no one had crossed my path. And yet still I was like grumpy. And so I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours into my day, I certainly had like closed my Bible for the morning. It wasn't like I was spending time with the Lord. I was actually just getting ready to head to a doctor appointment. And I just like stepped outside on my back porch because I sometimes have to hide these days because I have so many people in my house so that they don't find me. And I just brought my feelings to God and I talked to him from Psalm 119. And that I would say is a middle minute. Yeah, that was just like a point in my day where I otherwise might be taken up by just tasking or getting something done, but really could be an opportunity to talk to God. So I would say the middle minutes are the ones that we kind of discount like, oh, let me just get through this to get to the next big thing. Let me get this done so I can get to the appointment. Let me get this finished so I can jump on a Zoom call. I just have to clean the kitchen. And then once it's done, I can breathe. And I would say the middle minutes are the things that we oftentimes just rush through, but really the ones that I think are some of the best ones to talk to God within. 
Yeah, that's so good. And I can relate to everything that you mentioned there because it is so easy to just say, oh, if I could just get through this, if I could just get through this. And that's why even before I come on these podcast interviews that I do every single time, I start by just getting on my knees and saying, Lord, like just silencing that rush, you know, and just saying, I, I'm just excited. I get to partner with you to do this, but it's so easy to look at it as, let me just get through this instead of leaning into him. And as I've read through your book, I have loved that reading through. You mentioned it a couple of times. So I'd love for you to kind of expand upon this for the listeners of talking to God from his word. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. At first, I want to say, I love that you do that before you jump on these podcasts, because I feel like what you just talked about that is like, it's like we've squeezed that out of our lives because we just kind of don't have time for that, you know, and and it feels like it's just so much more important to get to the next thing. And yet I feel like what you, that moment of like you being on your knees before him, like before this interview, those moments of just pausing, honestly, I feel like those are the things that shape me like more than anything, but yet they're the first things to go if I'm going to try and fit as much as I can into a day. But so to answer your question, the talking to him from his word, I just, so Romans 12, two says, do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation, I feel like I'm pretty aware that I've got a lot of thoughts in my head that are not great. And I'm not talking like the deep, deep, dark thoughts. I'm talking like just low grade anxiety, like kind of self-talk where I feel like I'm not going to get this done. I'm always behind. I'm going to fail my kid again. You know, those subtle things that like we agree with all day long without kind of even paying attention to them. And so with adoration, what's been significant for me is finding that I can't just tell myself to stop thinking bad thoughts. Like it doesn't work. I've tried it for a really long time and it just, those bad thoughts don't go away. So I have found that praying to God and putting his word in my mouth actually begins to replace the thinking behind my speaking. Like it actually begins to very slowly. I mean, I'm not talking breakthrough turnaround in a day, but it starts to slowly replace the thoughts that are, I can't, I'm such a bad mom. I'm failing my kids. I'm failing my husband. I let this friend down. I'm never going to get it done. It always works out bad. You know, all those things. The more that I put his word in my mouth, the more that my thoughts get changed. Ooh, the more that you put his word in your mouth, the more your thoughts get changed. Isn't that the truth? Yet why, you know, you mentioned earlier about the me pausing before doing this podcast. And you know, it's funny, not funny, it's sad actually, but ironic would be the better word is I have had those times where I'm like, oh, I don't have time. I just got to get on there. And man, I can tell a difference, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the interview and different things when I did not take, I mean, so all this to say, it takes 30 seconds to stop and do this before the Lord. Of course, we could spend longer if we want. But why then do we not just really create more of this space of what you're mentioning here of those middle minutes instead of pushing through them, really stopping and pausing? Why do you think we don't make the space for it? Well, I don't know for everybody else, but I know for me, I think I have a warped understanding of productivity. And I think I still continue to see my life as a sum total of the parts, like that I need to fit as much as I can into a certain frame of time. And that that makes me productive and efficient. And honestly, when I'm productive, I feel way better about myself. But with God's 
I, I mean, this happens to me over and over again, where it's like, he just wants to show, show off really and say, Hey, my economy is different than yours. And I actually move through weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 12, 12, 9. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Sarah, if you give over certain parts of your schedule to me, if you fast the 21st century life, and I mean fast in like the monastic sense, I'm not saying we need to be monastic, but I mean like not fast, like run fast. But if you fast from aspects of the 21st century life, you will see so much of more of myself and my spirit and my word coursing through you. So I feel like for me, and this is really real time. I mean, this is something I was already thinking about. I mean, I've been thinking about over a course of years, but just recently thinking about it this morning, like the inertia of my life continues to tell me, pack it all in, get it all done. At the end of the day, take a deep breath. And I just feel like his way is very different. And so when I, the more that I believe what his word says, and the more that I ascribe to his way, the easier it is for me to be like, you know, I had three things I have to do this afternoon. And instead, I'm going to slide off my shoes and walk around my front yard barefoot and just like soak in that it's spring and listen to the birds and feel what it feels like to have the grass on my feet and like let the wind really just let me experience the wind instead of just driving through it onto the next thing. I love that you're speaking to this because I, I don't, I am personally getting some freedom of just listening to you say that the way you were that you said, when I'm productive, I feel way better about myself and that God's economy is different than ours. And we need to fast the 21st century life that resonates with me so much because this whole uh, pandemic of, you know, being forced to stay home, I was forced to remove a lot of the normal things I would do off of my schedule. And man, I enjoyed it so much that as we prepare to re-enter into the world, I'm like, I don't want to put all the things back on there. You know, I don't want to go back to always feeling rushed and go, go, go. And so I know so many women listening today will relate to that of feeling really good about yourself to be productive. Mm -hmm. So the question I have for you in all of this is, how do we decide, because there are some things, like you said, sometimes I have things on my list that I really would love to just not do, but sometimes it's a commitment, you know, or something I said I would do, or, you know, somewhere I, I, I was supposed to be. So how do we, I, I don't find maybe, I don't know if there's balance or even just wisdom really probably is a better word in being productive yet also submitting to what God would have for us in a schedule? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, real time where I am, and again, this has been like multiple years of me processing this. So I definitely feel like I've been had my more than my toe in the water here, but yet I still feel very new to like absorbing and living kind of a different speed of life. For me, I feel like it just requires a kindness to myself that sometimes I realize after the fact that I have overcommitted. Like sometimes after the fact, I look back and I'm like, well, shoot, I'm meeting this friend. I mean, this isn't now in quarantine, but before quarantine, I'm meeting this friend at two and it was probably too much in my schedule. It's 145. I'm not going to cancel on her. And I don't think I'm walking like in sin because I'm showing up to something I probably shouldn't have committed to. So like I am going to go and then I'm going to use that knowledge for the next time somebody reaches out and says, let's grab lunch. I'm going to just ask the Lord for wisdom and say, is this on my plate or not? Because the reality is like for me and my personality, 
I actually tend to not be someone who overcommits. So sometimes I need to hear from him, like jump in and do this because there's times where I just will pull back. And so I just, I feel like the response is just a greater attentiveness to him in our lives that like, I mean, I, I've been coaching my teenagers through this, which is kind of funny because, you know, this isn't the teenage experience that I had, but my kids are following the Lord and they're curious about what it looks like to make new commitments. Like I'll say to them, you know, your dad and I pray before we say yes to having a family over for dinner or before we like jump into some new commitment, like just putting that pause in your life where you just ask him, I think then it slowly tethers us to his cadence for our lives, which sometimes might be faster and more productive than we like, and sometimes maybe way slower than we like. But essentially, it takes us off the highway of whatever the 21st century speed is. It puts us in a, in a rhythm where we go, God, you determine our speed. And there's sometimes in some seasons where you want me to move slower than I want to move. And there's some seasons where you want me to move faster, but it's your rhythm that I want to align with. I love that simple phrase you said in there. And I think I can remember, I will remember this whenever I wanting to pause and just ask the Lord, because that's such wisdom is you said, Lord, is this on my plate? That, that simple little question there is so powerful because I, you know, it helps us from heaping things on there that he did not tell us to put on there. But then at the same time, you know, a real life example for me is I am currently in grad school. In fact, I'm in summer grad school right now. And I, I get asked all the time by people because we've got kids, we own a business, I do this podcast and I get asked by people, how are you in grad school? Like they can't wrap their brain around it. And honestly, I can't either other than the fact that my husband and I have prayed over it and God gave us not only so much peace, but favor for me to be in school that because God's the one who put this on my plate, it feels really like, you know, it's like, I don't know, it just... I just get it done. Like, it's a big thing if you look at it, you know, but I'm like, I don't know. It's just the time always works out and the class, you know, everything has always worked out, even down to somebody giving me their books because they were done with them, like little things, you know, that it just it makes it all come together. And so I love that you you really brought that on too, saying sometimes the Lord will ask us to pick up something that would be heavy if we were carrying it in our own strength. But if he is the one who said, yeah, I've given you the permission to do this thing. And because he made the way, it's going to be really light. Yeah. And I think that's, I've, I've felt the same with my writing. I mean, really, the opportunities that have opened up for me to write and publish, pretty much every one I have resisted. And I've gone, well, I've got, with each, with each book, there's been more kids. So right now I have seven kids right now as if it's a moving target. I think we're just going to hold steady at seven, <laughs> but you know, seven kids, how am I going to do another book? And I feel like I want to say no. And the Lord, you know, Nate and I pray independently and then together. And it feels like this is what he said to do. And so there is a grace. So there's not, cause I have people ask me the same thing. Like, how do you write? And I actually homeschool my kids too. How do you write and homeschool? And I'm like, I'm not giving a template for life. Cause I think each one of us has to lean into the Holy spirit for what that looks like. But when God says yes to something that feels like too much, there's a grace on it. And when God says no to something that feels too much, you don't want to do that thing or you're going to be underwater. And not that he doesn't, not that he's not kind to pull us up. I mean, how many times have I done that thing? And then he pulls me up. But I just feel like kind of the undercurrent of this discussion on productivity is that ultimately 
there, at least for me, I feel like I need a rewiring. There is so much coming at me and this 21st century life is at a pace that my body cannot handle. And so in order for me to do what he's called me to do, I think more times than not, it requires me to get quiet and say, what's on my plate? Help me to walk it out if it feels or looks different than what I want. Help me to walk it out if it means letting people down. Help me to walk it out if it feels like too much. Like I just, I want to, I want to tune myself to your currency, God, not mine. Yeah. And you know what I love about this book, Adore, in the different practices that you teach in it is that it's just so neat hearing that part of your story that you've resisted writing books because it's God gave you this tool. And, you know, if you hadn't leaned into this tool, he gave you of learning how to practice that adoration in the middle minutes of your day, you probably, you may not have been able to write the books, you know, like, so when I just see that kind of full circle, that's, that's really neat to see that. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like what, what adoration has done for me has really been, aligning my thoughts with his. And I think any of us who have had like portions of our mind realigned to God or portions of our thought life realigned to God, we could all say, wow, it feels like the air is clearer. It feels like I can think more. It feels like I can be more present. It feels like I can do the thing that God has led me to do with greater confidence. And so in some ways, I think, you know, here I am talking about being less productive, but I think the way that I've been able to write and do seven kids is that God continues to heal my thought life. And so I have more space and capacity to be present, to think his thoughts, to follow his leadership than I did when I was, you know, than a year ago or three years ago. Yeah. And one one of the chapters in your book, it's called, and I loved the title of it, it says, We Are What We Adore, How We Become What We Behold. What do you think are some common things that you see women today adore? Oh, I mean, I, women today or me, you know, like very subtly, even just following friends on Instagram and all of a sudden it's like, man, I don't like my countertops and my cabinets need an upgrade and wow, like she really got all of her kids all dressed and matching for that. And, oh, I, I, like my kids are all wearing last year's clothes. You know, I, I feel like there's a commonality among women, not that men don't struggle with it too, but I think we adore what somebody else has. There's just like such a pervasive draw toward envy and adoring what we don't have because it's so accessible to look and see what other people have that we don't. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting too about that is I feel like it's actually really just accepted to do that. Do you agree with that or not? Like that's just kind of who we are and what we do and that, that we don't, that doesn't strike us as odd or something that maybe we shouldn't do. Yeah. Cause I think it seems good in a lot of settings. It seems really good. Like I think about my parents' generation, you know, my mom's like, we didn't read books on parenting. Like were there even books out there on parenting? Like they just lived their life. That was very much their generation. And I'm, I'm love books on parenting. I'm not speaking against those because I actually benefited from a ton of them, but I think there's just such a cultural thing right now, which is like, learn from other people, watch what other people are doing and integrate it into your life that on the front end is good. But if not examined, it ends up create, we become monsters. There's no room. There's not enough room to imbibe all that we're seeing and trying to evaluate and then integrate into our own life. And so, but I do think at the outset, it looks really good. Like, oh, here's another idea for a great meal to serve. If I don't examine it, I go, wait a second, that might not fit my grocery budget. And I really don't have time to 
saute to caramelize onions for 45 minutes. You know, that's probably not going to be a fit for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Another chapter in your book is on tiny beginnings. And it's about the power of starting where you are. I'm curious, I would love to hear you just your encouragement for the listeners of where how they can start where they are. Yeah, I think it's C.S. Lewis who says, just start where you are as it relates to adoration. I think I want in my flesh, I want like a candle and I'd like the house to be dark and quiet and to be the morning and no baby's crying. And if I wait for that, I might have that kind of conversation with God a couple times a week. But if I am willing to like have the kitchen be a mess and still slide into my side room and talk to God for five minutes, my heart gets a little changed in that day. If I'm willing to go, you know what, it's okay if dinner's late today and take an extra five minutes to, we have a circular drive out front just to walk the circular drive and adore, which is a verse that I just read as I walked out the door. My heart gets changed. That day looks different. I mean, it sounds maybe dramatic, but I, after years of experiencing that, I know that sometimes three minutes is all it takes for my heart to have a little bit of a shift. But if I keep waiting for it to look a certain way, or even really for me to feel a certain way, I'll never do it. So I feel like start where you are is permission to start when you don't want to pray, start when you don't feel like you have time to, start when it feels inconvenient, and start when you feel grumpy. That's that's where you should start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as a, since you're a mom of seven, I, I have a feeling you have really great insight on this. So how do we then navigate the other people in our life. Cause it's one thing for me to get free in this area and to realize, like you said, it's okay if dinner's five minutes late, or it's okay if I take, you know, I would rather take a pause for a couple minutes and get my heart right and then move forward. And I'm, I am, you know, I've got three kids. And so I'm, I'm also trying to teach them this as well. You know, if we're maybe leaving to go somewhere five minutes later, especially if it wasn't an appointment, it was just, we were leaving for, you know, to go somewhere that didn't have a deadline. I'm noticing in my own children that they also were in that, we got to go, we got to keep moving. We got to be, you know, where you were on a schedule. And so I'm, how do you implement this as a mom of seven to say, okay, mom needs to take that two minute time out or whatever you do, you know, to kind of, how, how are you teaching them about this? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that I've taught them as much as like, it's just been a reality. Like, hey, mom, like even in the middle, if I feel like a conflict coming up with a kid, and I think I'm not going to handle it so well, I'll say, you know what, I just need like five minutes to go be alone. My kids are pretty familiar with that. So I don't know that I've done as much teaching as I have done, like, just letting them see me not be all put together. Which is tough, honestly, for me, not that I have a desire for my kids to see me put together, but I like when things run on time. I like when things are organized. I like, I mean, in some ways, because we have seven kids, if I have to run a tight ship, like we just have to, otherwise it's complete chaos. So I think in some ways it may be, I don't know, the proof will be in the pudding in maybe 10 years from now, but I feel like it speaks a little bit louder to them when they see mom going, hey, we're here at the party, but mom's going to take like one more lap around the neighborhood in the car because I just need to talk to God. And they know that I don't like to be late. And so they know like, oh, there's times where God, it's really important that you connect with God over even a commitment that you've made. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we just hang in our heads like, let your yes be yes, you know? And so we kind of scold ourselves into like never allowing for schedule changes or delays or letting people down. And I think sometimes it actually would benefit the relationship if we failed our friends a little bit more. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and then we all learn to extend each other grace, you know, whenever <laughs> we have those moments and just like, hey, I just needed a moment and understanding how oh, that's so good. I love that. Okay. So the final thing that I wanted to ask you about before we hop off here is in the book, we haven't got to talk too much about this, but I would love to just end on this note that you have listed 30 attributes of God, which some of those are so powerful. As I was flipping through, I'm like, oh my goodness, these are so good. Which one of those, which ones, I will, I'll let you do plural, mean the most to you right now? You know, honestly, the one that I keep circling back to, and I don't know if I ever will not, I would love it if I just didn't have to keep circling back to it because I'd love to really know it, but it's the one that's, I need to find which number it is for those who have the book. It's the God who likes me, and that's 21. I, I like, it is crazy to me that, you know, in in a lot of my writing, I talk about God's tenderness to us and how much he enjoys us. I feel like it's something that we've really implemented in our conversation with our kids. Four of our kids are adopted. And so there's just a um, shame that is around them that I think is going to take some years, yay, decades to heal. And so we talk a lot about our enjoyment of them God's enjoyment of us. And yet still, when I get quiet, I just, it's like I flinch. I realize I still respond to God as if he's disappointed in me. So that one, I feel like has been pretty significant for me in almost every season, like really going back to the scriptures that reveal his delight and enjoyment in me has been pretty huge. Yeah, as I was looking through them, that one jumped off the page to me as well, because you don't hear that talked about a whole lot. God likes me. You know, we hear God loves me, but we don't always hear that God likes me. And so I was just that one. I really liked that one a lot. Thank you for sharing that real life application of it. Well, Sarah, thank you for taking the time to come on today. Is there, can you tell people where they can connect with you online? Yeah, I write, mostly I write in a newsletter and they can sign up for my newsletter, my website, sarahagreedy.net. Other than in my books, my newsletter is my favorite place to write because it's not as easily accessible online. It feels a little bit private, a little bit more private, but I also am on Instagram at Sarah Hagerty writes. I don't have an H at the end of my name. So it's just Sarah, S-A-R-A, and then Hagerty writes. Those are the two main places you'll find me. Perfect. And those links will be in the show notes as well. Is there any final words of encouragement you'd like to leave the listeners with today? I think I'd just say for whoever is listening, I suspect that you probably are listening today in part because the Lord wants you to hear that he's available for like right now. You know, if you're driving or on a run or even just like sitting outside on your front porch, it might be the perfect time to just power down your phone and just give three minutes to talking to God about how you feel in this moment and what he might have to say to you from his word from it. I feel like if you're listening, there's a good chance he's wanting to get your attention just like he has been wanting to get mine today and say, hey, I'm available. I want to talk to you today. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good word to leave on. Thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. I cannot wait for everybody to hear this episode and for them to get their hands on a copy of your book. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Didn't that conversation bring joy and peace to your soul? It did to mine when I interviewed Sarah. And so I want to make sure you guys all grab a copy of her book, Adore. And remember, if you're on my VIP email list, you're automatically entered to win books from guests on the show. Don't forget to sign up for Joymail, that monthly newsletter that is going to bring some extra joy to your inbox and it's going to put you on the giveaway list. You can be on that list by simply texting the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44. 
888-222-222 right there on your cell phone, or you can sign up directly on my website at rachelgilbert.com. All right, friends, that's all we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.